This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Welcome, welcome. This is Kelly and Ramya, the day after the Thanksgiving long weekend. So let's get the formalities out of the way. Kelly McDonald is here. Yay. He's back after his extended long weekend from last week, so really a week off. But it's kind of like those cheat weeks, like the new reading weeks that uh, <laughs> universities and college give you, right? Like, oh, uh-huh. it's a reading week after the long weekend. That's only four days, though. I don't count that at all. Um, but Kelly, how was your time off? Got some projects taken care of. That oh. was nice. Otherwise, uh, you know, pretty quiet, stuck around um, close to close to home, had some nice visits with family, and that's that's really it. Oh. Oh, I know Turkey? you're waiting. I know you're dying. Anything? I know you're dying. Uh, sports. Oh, wow. <laughs> had a nice diet of sports over the time off. But we know I like to do that. As soon as mm. baseball playoffs start, if I can work that in, oh, my goodness. And, and yeah. always do. Yeah. Uh, and the other week? anticipated question, did you have Thanksgiving dinner of any kind? And did you enjoy it? Uh, no, no. It was it was just really, really quiet. I see. It really was. So just the way I like it. Well, you had a Friendsgiving. Uh, we're having two Friendsgivings, actually. But this time around, my family and I didn't do anything. We were just lazy. We didn't want to cook wow. at all. At Did you order all. pizza or anything? Didn't you guys yeah, do that we ordered once? Kebabs. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. We're like, oh. we should probably do something. And it's 8 p.m. on the Monday night, so let's just order in. Um, but no, my friends <laughs> oh, and I my did. God. <laughs> my friends and I did Jamaican Friendsgiving, as usual, right? Jamaican food. Right. Sorry, yep. I should clarify. Jamaican food. <laughs> <laughs> for Friendsgiving. Um, yeah, that sounds a little, um, <laughs> you shouldn't be saying that. Yeah, yeah. yeah please you know, navigate that carefully. Jamaican food cooked by my friends for Friendsgiving, which is a tradition of mine. So if you're wondering, Jerk again, chicken? questionable. Um, no, curry chicken this time around and rice and peas okay. and potato salad. And that was really my good. family's favorite. They love curry chicken. Had oh, it a so lot. Good. Almost every month at least so once. So good, so good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Making it at home. Oh. I wanted to ask you about another thing, but now I'm like, we're going to crunch on this. Uh, do you have a time when you were the recipient in someone else's pay it forward movement mm. that you remember very well? Right off the top, I always think of one day coming into work, going to Tim Hortons in the Pape subway station in Toronto, where they have a Tim Hortons. And I got in line, got my food. And as I went to pay for it, a guy said, wait, excuse me, sir, allow me. I said, pardon? I'll get it for you. Oh. I said, oh, sir, you don't have to do that. No, no. Sir, I'm having a rough day. Do you mind? <laughs> no. Go ahead, sir. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. And that, oh, that I totally, like, because I got it. You know, when you're having a rough day, sometimes you just want to help somebody. Mm. And I, oh, don't, don't, I'm, don't accuse me of don't the guy who was going to stand in the way. people's bad this. days. Man. They really need to pick me up. Yeah. yeah, he really did. He needed to do something really kind, really nice, which I must admit was a little nicer than the person that insists they help guide me across the street. I was just going to say, you know, if all the people who've tried to offer me, um, I call them pity meals, but, you know, charitable meals at food courts were a little more aggressive, then maybe I'd have no choice but to take their kind offer. But no, usually it's just like, oh, <laughs> can I buy your meal? And how about no. for you? No, thanks. Anyone, anything uh, come to mind? There was 
just the, the drop-off, not for me personally, but the drop-off of my brother's wallet that he had left in Ottawa on a trip that a person drove all the way to Toronto to because it was <gasps> past Toronto that they were going. That's what they said. And they dropped it off at our house and they said, hey, the next time, you know, something like this happens, then you can pay it forward and do the same thing that I did for you. But somebody had done someone something. someone else. Exactly. Wow. Someone had done something yeah. so special like that to them and they were like, it was nothing. Paying it forward. Yep. Here, Very nice. Fedora's off. Fedora's off. Awesome. To kind people out there. Thanksgiving. Let's find out what's coming up on today's show. We have a nutrition chat with Julia Karanchis, and we're talking about hot cereals and the health benefits associated with them. Kim Hovey joins us for her community report, where she tells us all about a Western Canada road trip with her mom. Also, we have a parenting chat with Lucia Belafonte coming up. That's in the second hour of the show, where we will talk about ableism for parents. And if you have a child with a disability, how to navigate all that. Can we get to this? How much time do we have? Let's really quickly talk it. about the post-tropical storm Fiona that's found uh, brought changes to Prince Edward Island's beaches and shorelines last year, lending a helping hand to a tiny bird, the piping plover. Parks Canada spokeswoman uh, Lily McLean says the number of piping plover chicks that have seen a small increase, and she says there were 17 chicks born from 10 breeding pairs on the shores of PEI National Parks this year. However, some new beaches that the plovers didn't traditionally use have been found to be occupying um, these new beaches, uh, likely because of the hurricane causing some woody debris, you know, more shells and more cobble to allow the birds to camouflage on the beaches. That may um, indicate um, some benefit to them this past season. But the birds also face an ongoing threat from climate change. McLean says climate change has also brought back an increase in saltwater flooding in the beaches, which in turn can wash away nets and the birds' ability to find food. So there's so many details that we have to consider. It's not just a, oh, that's such a good news story. And, you know, how lovely that they found some solace in the islands. But uh, Mm -hmm. honestly, just the maintenance of being able to then make sure this breed has everything they need to continue to survive. It's tough, right? Because you obviously have always had storms and they always will affect whatever wetland, whatever yeah. it might be, or dry land. You're going to have that. But now every time we discover, hey, something's happening, we hear, oh, due to the global warming. So, of course, we feel even more guilty and more like, hey, this this is just a sheer directly because of. And uh, I know there was always going to be those minus and pluses with anything like that. Exactly. That's significant. Exactly. But nonetheless, you know, we keep track and we keep posted as we have a lot of the the negative and terrifying news about different um, species, endangered species, what we're doing to endangered species. Uh, There's also a lot of people working really hard to make sure that we can help some of them survive. After the break, we're going to revisit some of the um, interviews and conversations we had at the Balance Community Fair back in September. Now we can say that because it's October. And we'll tell you which ones we're going to play for you and what we're going to learn about after the break. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Joining us on a Tuesday after the long weekend Monday, 
Uh, now we've had two long weekends in a row. So, you know, just trying not to get spoiled out here, right? Like, <laughs> before you know it, I'm going to start taking four days a week from now until the end of December. So, um, Kelly, if you have any vacation days left, please share. <laughs> yeah, spread them around, eh? Sprinkle. Hey, look, you still have, what do they call them? Personal, Personal days? days, yes. Do you have any yes. of those left? Don't know. <laughs> I, I don't even want to check. I'm so scared. Um, let's get into a conversation that we had, myself and a guest, at the um, Balanced Info Community Fair. This was uh, back at the beginning of September. We took a lot of time to get to know some of the services that you could to participate in or get supported by if you're in the blind, low vision, or disabled community. So here's a conversation I had with David Myers, and he's from the Center for Independent Living Toronto. Let's take a listen. David Myers is sitting next to me here, and David is the Senior Manager of Independent Living Programs uh, at SILT in Toronto. David, tell us all about the Center for Independent Living. Well, Center for Independent Living has been around for about 39 to 40 years. Uh, it is uh, led by people with disabilities in partnership with people with disabilities. It's one of about 24 independent living centers across the country. and. Um, we do a lot of um, resource work. We do service navigation, connecting people with disabilities to services in the city. We also have a direct funding program, which helps people, about a thousand people across the country, get access to attendant services so they can live their lives. We have some peer support and parenting with a disability programming. We have uh, an independent living skills program as well. We also have um, a program called ASAC which is a program where people can apply to us to access supportive housing or attendant services in Toronto. In your role, what do you do and what do you most love about it? I do a lot of work sort of helping people to um, be empowered to advance their rights as disabled and deaf people in the city. So people with disabilities really are uh, marginalized and under-resourced and underserved by our communities our governments. So we try to empower them to have a voice around things that matter to them, like whether it's access to accessible transit, access to housing, demanding uh, more income security from governments. So we do a lot of that work because since we're disability-led, we try to empower people to do the work themselves and collaborate with them and other organizations, like the coalition, which was uh, developed about four years ago. David, so with the fact being that we have so many people running across the country, SILT locations with disabilities, when did that become, because I, I, I have to believe at the beginning, maybe not so, maybe I'm wrong, correct me please if I am, when did that become, I don't want to say either a mandate, but I like it, um, and, and why? Why did we start saying we need these voices, we need the direction from persons with disabilities, um, has this always been part of the model? Well, the independent living movement started in the 1970s. It started in the U.S. It started in California, whereby folks with disabilities wanted to be able to do things like everybody else, go to work, go to school, have the right to be fully included in society. Mm -hmm. And so the first independent living center was out in Berkeley, it started. And from there, they advanced that sort of movement for people to actually um, have a right to access their community, their society, to be fully productive citizens if they 
if they could. And then that just spread across North America. And then it came to Canada eventually. And so CELT is one of those original independent living centers that started back in Berkeley. We are one of now hundreds across North America. So here, and we know the needs of people, whether they be in Toronto or another location across Canada, the needs are so different. How do you measure out what's important to the communities in Toronto or through the philosophy of independent living? Uh, like I, I kind of look at things that we know as we, before we started to, to, to do the interview, we joke around about, hey, this is going on. These are the laws that we have to kind of push back on. There are so many issues out there that vary from community to community, region to region. How do you guys keep a scope on that? And I love the more aggressive nature with looking ahead and saying, these are problems, the speaking up. A lot of organizations were traditionally used to them. Well, we can't really get involved in that way. But that's not what, you, what, what SILT is about. No, and I think increasingly more organizations are not about that either because they recognize that, you know, historically, societies have been ableist. They've been designed without people with disabilities in mind. So whether it's housing or it's transit, or it's the employment landscape. Yeah. People with disabilities were historically left out of access. Yes. And so I think part of the independent living movement is to advance that right, which is grounded in the Human Rights Code. It's grounded in our international agreements that we have signed onto that says that people with disabilities have a right to access full inclusion. So I think because SILS has an independent living model, we've advanced that approach in the work we do in the city, so um, we encourage people to actually um, access your rights by being knowledgeable about what, how city works, mm -hmm. how, how laws are made, how policies made, how do they impact you, and what can you do? You know, how can you contact your city council? How can yeah. you contact yes. your MPP and say, "These are my rights. What are you doing actually for me to realize them?" So many of us are, are just disadvantaged that way unless we're connected with advocacy in some way, but we're, we're talking to the average Joe out there who's dealing with maybe a, a, a disability that is new to them and how to navigate. One of the areas that we hear a lot of talk about is accessible and affording housing. You mentioned it off the top. What, where are we standing in this country? How because we don't hear specifics regarding disabled people, we hear maybe marginalized people, maybe um, people on restricted incomes. But can we talk for a moment, David, across the country, even though I'm sure it varies, how serious is this situation for us for accessible housing and affordable for those on, on assistance? Well, everybody knows now we have an affordable housing crisis across the country. And it's impacting a lot of folks who are not disabled because people can't afford uh, to live in some of the homes that are being, uh, being built and the existing ones, right? So we know that that's the case. But in terms of people with disabilities, we are even further marginalized because they're not building accessible housing. And the existing housing that's, that's here right now is woefully inadequate. Mm -hmm. So back in the 1990s when the feds were still building housing, there, uh, the max was often 5%. Right. 5%, at least 5%, yeah. which really was very low. Very. A lot of those uh, um, houses, uh, housing um, is still 5%. Wow. There's been no change. The Ontario Building Code doesn't even cover access fully accessible housing. So 50% has to be visible, 
but you don't have to build it for somebody to live in there. Right, so right, So I can get into right. my bathroom, yes. but maybe not my bedroom. Yeah. You don't have to build it for full access, is, is how it is right now. So, and the AODA, which is our accessibility legislation in Ontario, does not mention housing. There's no housing standard. Mm -hmm. The five standards, housing is not there. Wow. And we know that um, the seniors' population is going to double by the early 20, 2040, 2041. We're not building enough accessible housing to yeah. be able to actually have people age in place by 2040. No. We're way behind already at this point. So it's a whole lot of catch up. Yeah. Really. And David, there's a lot of hot button topics. I know that we could go on here for, for ages, but yeah. I want to draw it back Toronto. So um, things that you guys are working on now and where you might need your own supports or where you guys open the arms and say, hey, if you need us, come on in. You want to tell people a little bit about that process and how people best reach out and where you might need some supports from people. Is it just that advocacy? Do you need volunteers? Well, I'd love to talk about the GTA Disability Coalition because um, we have a booth out there today, and we're trying to promote the work the coalition is doing. SILT administers the coalition, and actually we got United Way funding last year to fund this as a program, a core program of SILT. We have about 13 disability-led organizations. We have three orgs for the blind. ABC is one of them. Balance for Blind Adults is another one. We have Silent Voice, which serves the deaf community. Besides SILT, we have uh, the Empowerment Council, which serves um, people with psychiatric disabilities. So it's cross-disability, because really disability is so yes. variable, right? Yes. And so the mandate of the group really is to advance um, our priorities are affordable and accessible housing, which is critical for our community, poverty and income insecurity. Disabled people are historically and currently very... Um, Disproportionately poor. Yeah. You know what ODSB is, right? Yeah, it's totally, for sure. totally inadequate to serve the needs of the community. And then and then transit. You know, access to transit. We have a wheel trans, which is a accessible transit system, is under threat now because the TCC may be looking to cut half of the ridership out of door-to-door -door service. Wow. Which is critical. Yep. So we've been really working with councillors at city council level. Those guys make make policy and vote on investments in a range of things. So we're trying to get progressive councils to actually be aware of the needs of our disability communities because they aren't aware of it. So no. some are, are open to learning, but we found that a lot of them now are actually bringing forward motions at council for positive, progressive policy decisions that impact our community. So we really need our communities to be aware and to get involved with the work we're doing. Uh, David, how can they do that? How do you want them reaching out to the coalition? Well, so we, we have two, we have one social, so we're on uh, X at GTADC1. That's GTADC1. You can reach us there on our Facebook page, it's GTADC1 as well. And then our website, we have uh, some information around the coalition. It's www.silt.ca slash programs and services. We're in there as well, and uh, we have a coordinator who people can reach out to as well. Okay. So, um, get in contact with us would be the best way. Awesome. We can put you on a list of people who are interested, and we can send you information on what's happening, the work we're doing. So many community. conversations we could have, David. Yeah, Thank you for making time. Uh, Happy to. We appreciate Thanks for it. Me.
Center for Independent Living Toronto. We've been talking to David Meyer, Senior Manager of Independent Living Programs. Remember transforming into Kelly, but I thought I did apparently for this conversation. I don't know what made me think that it was me who talked to David Myers, but anyways, it was you, Kels, obviously, uh, from the Center for Independent Living Toronto, SILT. And uh, obviously, this was a very informative conversation for you, Kels, and this was from our Balance for Blind Adults in for Information Community Fair that happened in September a couple, several more conversations, actually, that we're going to bring you um, when, uh, like, throughout the, the rest of the year that you can take part in and just listen to because we learned a lot through these conversations. And, Kels, next time, it probably is me that conducted the interview. We'll see. He's not even here. Maybe. maybe oh. oh. Oh, sorry. I'm talking and I'm muted. I thought okay. I just clicked this back that way. My goodness. Um, it was a really wonderful talk, and the rest are definitely you um, that we have left. So I thought it was Hopefully. fun. Um, it was really informative what David brought to the table, especially what I considered the wide reach uh, uh, and, and just the different things yep. that the organization does. So really cool. David, thank you very much for making the time and coming out and sharing. We know how... Uh, big how gigantic of a city toronto is how populous and so when an organization you know is meant to serve all of toronto in a particular way but still a, a big city like this uh we know that you've got your work cut out for you so appreciate you the organization overall taking a break and when we come back in two minutes we're talking nutrition with julia caranches Hot cereals and the health benefits associated with them. I'm sure a cream of wheat's going to come up. I wish Billy was here to talk more about and it. And Billy's favorite, Red River. <laughs> exactly. We'll be right back. Just quickly, we were talking about uh, watching soccer on TV, and I was like, no, I was listening to it on radio. With baseball, which you love to watch and PVR and all this stuff, um, do you find that there's a significant difference between TV and radio, or do, are you able to follow? Oh, sure. Yeah? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I've had this conversation with Brock, right? Because I've told him when games aren't available, like if Apple does a baseball game and it's mm. not actually on regular TV, I've said, well, can't you just listen to it? Oh, I ain't going to do that. The radio's the best for baseball with the descriptions and the side talk. It, it gives you a lot of information. But I find baseball fine to follow on TV enough because I know the sport enough. I generally can tell by crowd reaction and everything what's going on. Uh, even if they're talking or, you know, about something else. Mm. Soccer, uh, sorry, basketball, easiest to follow for me, both, both ways. Uh, football, reasonably easy. Yeah, it's not not a lot. They also do more play-by-play. -play. Hockey's mm. great. Soccer's the worst TV-wise. Oh, yes. I don't, I, I not enough commentating, Canada. right? That's it. If you're going to list a, to follow soccer, it, to me, it's a, it's totally an audio thing. If you are blind and need that, you don't have enough vision and you need that stuff. Yep. It's to me the radio version. Again, I'm sure there are soccer fans who are blind who know it well enough and can really follow. And based on the crowd and sounds that you get, because there's so many microphones on the field, mm. there's so much to follow. Yes, so. yes. But you've been following more soccer now that you I'm are playing it. You understand it more. Yes, it's very interesting. Actually, we can get into it later, but the complete difference um, between, you know, blind soccer and five-a-side, uh, which is closer oh gosh, to yeah. futsal, versus, you know, conventional um, soccer, but also soccer. the 
the wording, you know, between like soccer and uh, the language, I guess, like coming from football. an amateur perspective between like football and soccer and uh, hockey and all these other things. Like you can kind of transfer some of the knowledge that you have watching other sports and listening to other sports into, you know, checking out a new one. But it is it can feel very jarring to be like, what are they talking about? Um, and that's okay, also sports fans. Yeah. You know, I'm going to do it to her. You know what? Sports fans. <clears throat> what? Um Football in nutrition. England is is really what you know as soccer. Sure, what they call it. I was football. just talking about like uh, hockey, basketball, not, not and NFL, soccer. not CFL. No, okay. no, no. Oh come on, seriously? <laughs> I do know the difference, honestly. My in, coach in England, is footy. English, okay, and he calls it football all the time, and I never get confused anymore. <laughs> Down, set, hike. Every other Tuesday, we're joined by nutritionist Julia Carantis. Hi, I'm Julia Courageous. Join me on Kelly and Ramya as we dive into the wonderful world of nutrition and wellness with tips to stay healthy and live a vibrant lifestyle. Wait for it, Julia. Here comes the segue. <clears throat> with Ramya so into soccer <laughs> and those winter practices coming up, what better way to get your insides all warm and ready but hot cereal, which today we're talking about with Julia? Yes, and I'm so happy the weather changed because last week when I was writing it, we were in that heat wave and I thought, well, okay, you know, it's October. It's not totally unrealistic to be talking about having a hot breakfast. However, it is currently 31 degrees. So I'm very happy that today <laughs> is, you know, more like 15 degrees and this topic is a little bit more appropriate. So I wanted to talk about hot cereals because we are having colder weather Hot breakfasts are nice to have. Typically, they seem a bit fancy, something that you would go out for as opposed to making it in your home every day. And if you are making it in your home every day, it's, you know, not every day. It's maybe a couple of times a week. So today we're going to dive into the wonderful world of hot cereals, a great okay. alternative to cold cereals and other more complicated hot breakfasts. Well, my family, we were the whole, hey, it's it's cooler weather. It's winter. It's time for the hot sears. My family believed totally in that. And of course, right now I've got the uh, coral uh, pullover on green shirt, kind of fall colorish. So away we go. Uh, why is it starting off a great alternative to cold cereal? Well, cold cereals often have added sugar in them, as well mm -hmm. as a bunch yeah. of other ingredients, even all bran has sugar listed as an ingredient. So it can be very hard to find a cold cereal that offers a good amount of fiber and is low in sugar. And then I know with cold cereal, you can add milk, which would add protein, which is great and a really important component of breakfast, but you could also add that to a hot cereal. So you're less additives, less ingredients, less sugar, and a lot of fiber and still a great opportunity to add protein and other things to it. Okay, so what I'm hearing is that, um, you know, you can take all the healthy parts of the cold cereals that we love and potentially bring it into hot cereals, which is good news to get started, especially if you're like, I don't eat oatmeal or any of these other things. But are we talking about oatmeal or is there other things that we can uh, consider hot cereal aside from instant slash other oatmeals? Yeah, so oatmeal is on the list for sure. So many things that you can do with oats, you know, especially if you buy two-minute oats, you can cook them really fast. 
in a little pot or even microwave them mm -hmm. if you don't want to be standing by, you know, your stove or a cooktop. But there are lots of other options as well. So yes, there's cream of wheat, which I heard you mentioning before. Um, there's also cream of rice, which is delicious. You can also use grains called farro, millet, and quinoa too. Um, I mm. also came across brown rice listed as an option, which I found really interesting because it would be such a great way to use leftover rice, which I love because I love anything that promotes using, using food and not wasting food. So I thought the brown rice yeah. thing was really interesting. Wow, that kind of makes me think of the the rice pudding or also think of the old days of the Little Rascals show that was done in the 1930s where they'd have a bowl of mush. But I think mush was, I think, may have been a cold syrup. But I think of rice pudding. Um, would you just eat a bowl of rice when we talk about that? Because sometimes rice doesn't reheat. Like, how would we handle that? Oh, I know. I agree. It doesn't reheat very well. So Clumpy. I was reading the suggestions of how to, you know, prepare it as a hot cereal for the morning. Um, and so the suggestion to reheat it is by simmering it in milk. So it would soften the rice without over drying yeah. it and also add, add protein. And if you used a nut milk or a milk alternative, I mean, you would be adding the nutrients in that milk as well, which would be really good. So you could add also to this your own spices. I would add cinnamon, speaking of rice pudding. Um, you could Close. probably add a couple drops of vanilla extra extract to get that flavoring in. Um, I know it's pumpkin spice latte season, mm -hmm. so you could add pumpkin pie spice and maybe a drizzle of maple syrup. So that oh. I mean, sounds really delicious to me. Yeah, some cloves in there maybe too. Yeah, yeah. All that, all that nutmeg, cloves, all those warming spices you could add, nutmeg. I mean, really Ooh. to any hot cereal, but mm -hmm. I know delicious, right? So nice to eat on a cold morning. Mm. Yeah, I, I will say, Julia, it took me a while to kind of get used to just adding things, sprinkling things. I'm not just talking about spice and um, like seasoning, but I'm talking about, you know, hard things that you would add to cereals or to salads. Like we've talked about salads and things in this way as well. Like making things less bland by adding just handfuls of other items mm. to make it more hearty, to make it more interesting. Uh, sometimes you're adding a lot of this like sweet and savory combination. Mm. Your favorite. I was trying not to Chocolate get there chips. on my Your own. Big, big time favorite. <laughs> But do it, the, do it the night you know, before, because some of the problem is you're all sleepy in the morning. God knows what you'll yeah, pull in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't even know anymore. It's like chips and crackers and my oatmeal. But yeah what, yeah, what would you add slash, you know, where can people begin if you're kind of iffy about this stuff? Right. So, I mean, cream of wheat and cream of rice are bland, which can be great because they offer a great base for an exciting breakfast. Raisins are great to add. You um, Actually, raisins you could add to a bowl of quinoa or couscous with cinnamon, of course, and that would be really savory. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously a little bit sweet, but savory as well. Um, you could also mash half a banana and add that into your bowl of hot cereal with you know, a tablespoon of nut butter that would give it lovely flavor as well as fiber from the banana. And then you're getting a bit of fresh fruit in there. 
I personally like adding yogurt and blueberries to my oatmeal and I have used Greek. It's so nice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I've used coconut based yogurt to keep it you know, dairy-free. And I've also used a Greek yogurt for added protein. I just switch it up. So it, I find it delicious. I don't fully mix mine in. So everything's combined. I kind of leave it on top as a topping so that every bite has a little cold yogurt and a little hot cereal. I I kind of enjoy that, but that's something that I like to do. Um, And if you don't have yogurt or you're not a yogurt eater, you could add walnuts. Walnuts are great to add excellent source of fat. So these options are giving you flavor, but they're also giving you some of our other macronutrients like fat and protein to help really create a satisfying, satiating breakfast. Um, You can also add, which we've talked about before in our smoothie segment, you could add ground flax and chia seed. So like lots of different options, any seed, any nut and fruit are always great. Yeah, I love the nut. And I've heard a lot of people doing it with chia seeds. My, my family used to do apple too. You know, you cut the, the, the skin uh, off it, like yeah. you cut it up and then cut the skin off and just put a little bit in there. See, you had to do it right or it just seemed weird because you'd get too big of a chunk if it was small enough. But it certainly helped, like you said, with the with the blueberries. So in your mind, do these all basically taste the same? No, they don't. They don't taste the same. And they also don't have the same texture when you eat them. So texturally, they'll be quite different. Even even oatmeal will have a different texture if you buy rolled oats versus steel cut, for example. So you know, I mean, the best thing to do would be to try a couple. And again, if you don't want to, you know, if you're worried you might not like it and you want to avoid food waste and wasting money, get it from a bulk store, just get a little bit of each. Um, So some of them will have bland tastes and other ones will have more nutty tastes like millet, for example. Mm. So, you know, trial and error with this kind of thing, see what you like, see what, you know, if you want to be chewing something every morning versus just maybe mushing it with your tongue and taking it down, like, you know, you get a (laughs) rolled oats get quite soft and mushy, but farro and millet would require chewing. Um, And then whenever Mm. you add it into it. So texturally, they'll be, they'll be different. Yeah. So do you find that Um, the biggest problem either of you? Because some people, like I find that, oatmeal porridge, whatever you want to call it, any of these warm cereals, hot cereals, texture really does seem to affect people's enjoyment of it. I used to find even with the milk, if I put it in, if it was a cold pocket in it, it just, it could be funny. It basically made me go, Ugh. Yeah, or they get too soupy. Sometimes, you know, if you're going to mm-hmm. simmer the brown rice in milk and you've added too much milk, it's going to get soupy. And then you're, I mean, I just feel like that might be awkward to eat just because that's something you know, that we, we don't normally do. So that might not taste that great. Um, I mean, texture could definitely be an issue. Millet is so tiny. Um, so right, it would feel yeah, like yeah. tiny, tiny little yeah. balls in your mouth. I kind of like it, but it is. You got to get used to these know, things. Not what everybody. It's like you, rice you pudding do. versus tapioca pudding versus That's quinoa right. pudding, right? Like yes. if you're not used to just kind of interchangeably using different greens and such, uh, and seeds, I guess, you you might be like 
you know, really thrown off by this conversation in general. Like, okay, yeah, instead of yep. oatmeal, you could have A, B, C, and D. Well, now, that's the whole thing is like corn right. porridge. I love corn porridge, where but some people would totally be put off because of the what texture is that of the corn even? in it, exactly. where they'd eat rice pudding or corn, something else. And you mentioned, you know, soupy t- uh, consistency being a problem, but I grew up having kanji, which is, you know, uh, a familiar thing in a lot right. of different East Asian and South Asian cultures, but that was our breakfast, right? Like, which is basically rice soup. Like, it's very brothy, very thick, cooked in coconut milk or any other, you know, milk alternative. It's savory instead of sweet, and that was a very normal porridge kind of option for us, um, which is not necessarily like a thing in North America. Mm. But if you get it on your tongue, if you tried it or something, hey, this is supposed to be sweet. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's yeah, this is not savory. oatmeal. It's not so funny how that affects us. Julia, excellent topic. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, Julia Karanchis, we do these nutrition conversations every other Tuesday, Opposite Wellness with Francis Wong right here on Kelly and Ramya. We're switching it up and we're actually ending the first hour with you on a community report. So Kim Hovey, who joins us from uh, Yukon, from Dawson City, Yukon, is going to tell us all about her Western Canada road trip that she took with their mom. We were hyped about hearing about this when she told us about it last month. So we're checking in on the reflections. We'll be right back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. You don't strike me as the type of person to get kicked out of a venue because of not following dress code. You know, you always seem to wear your shoes, your pants, your attire correctly. But have you ever been questioned or not fully under? Yeah, you know, like not fully understood a dress code and be like, oh, I am not ready. Like, this is not. Yeah, when I was about seven, I was kicked out of something. No, I was never. Never. That doesn't happen. I had a family that that would just never happen. (laughs) They would just, you know, it says here you're to come, uh," you know, whatever the way it was. And back then, I never heard really, you know, like it was semi-formal. Semi-formal. Formal, they're they're you know, and otherwise casual. come as ca- come as you you know, want to or casual, like you say. And no, and that was never an issue for me in that sense. My family, we loved clothes. I didn't as much as my siblings and my parents. Right. You know, I just oh whatever. They're but there was very no way. Aware. You're not going there and embarrassing us exactly. wearing that oh, nonsense. Yeah, my mom's Get like out that of here. Well. And it really yeah, and it as, never as, stuck. As I got older, it, it just became something I actually really mm. enjoy, and I kind of get, and that's where. You know, I've always thought, and, uh, you know, having the right stuff is so important, but we can't all afford the, quote, right yes, stuff. But you can yes. do a lot of right stuff and not blow a lot of money. You don't need to have a now surplus Now that's more transparent. Silly. Yeah. You know, these conversations about, hey, you don't have to have an expensive, and here's a top that you can dress up, dress down, like that that's kind right. of conversation around fashion, which is very helpful for people like me. Well, and there's like, less of the, I've worn this once, I have mm. to get rid of it. Get out of oh, here. Where, where God, do you come yeah. from? Come on. Oh, that was a you huge know? thing when I was growing up. Like, you know, you go to one wedding, and then you have to have a whole new outfit for another wedding because of that one person who saw Somebody, you in that one yeah, thing. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. One time. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah no, with people don't, right. people, first of all, shouldn't have the money to waste clothing like Absolutely. that unless you have a Absolutely. resource to funnel those clothes down hand me down hand mm. me down hand me down yep. no it's that's just silliness to me yep. mm-hmm. anyways and you still should be able to you know, have that resource and hand that stuff down Definitely. that's for sure 
It's now time to welcome in Kim Hubby. She's got her community report with us, and she's joining us from uh, Dawson City out in the Yukon. Well, hold on. I'm sorry. Let me correct myself, because she, she still might be traveling, like snowstorm or not. She could be anywhere out there. Kim, Kim, come on. Where, where are you, Kim? <laughs> <laughs> I am at home, and fortunately, I did make it <laughs> oh, that's before beautiful. the like, storm. Yeah, isn't that a nice howdy do to come home to? Ah, I'm at home. When here's the storm joining us. Um, how long you been home? And we're going to get into the trip that you took with your mom that you previewed last time you were here. Yes, so I've been home since Thursday. So we got the big snowstorm Wednesday, or sorry, Thursday, just shortly after we got home. So it was perfect wow. timing. Wow. And, and And okay, so here comes the... I should blame Ramya. Here comes the Toronto type yeah. person's question. I'm in London. We know better. Um, how much snow did you guys get? Um, right now, we are getting close to a foot. It's getting nice. there. It's a very quite an accumulation and it's freezing rain on top, which is a Ugh. different snow for us because normally it's dry. It's usually colder and drier snow. So this is different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not, not certainly not trike weather. Um, so <laughs> let's talk true. a little bit about what you ladies did. Now you and your mom hit the road uh, or shall I say hit the railway tracks. Is that how you guys moved around? You drove. Oh, Kelly, I have to say it was uh, just the perfect trip. Like I couldn't have done it any better. It was oh, nice. wonderful. Mm. So I flew my mom from Ottawa to Vancouver and I flew from Whitehorse to Vancouver and we met up at the Vancouver airport. We were just like half an hour uh, away timing wise. So it worked out nice. perfect. Yeah. And the hotel was fairly close to the train station and we had lots of fun in Vancouver before we got on the train got our hair done and our nails done <laughs> so we had wow. a little bit of pampering so so before you continue from the pampering point i'm just curious because i always love to try to explain to people like really how big canada is how long was the flight from whitehorse out there to vancouver it's a two-hour flight, so it's not That's, bad. Um, no, going but still down long is easier. Flight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, sorry. From the pampering. <laughs> yeah, so we got to the train station, and I was so impressed with how accommodating they were. And they saw me with my white cane and said, come with me, follow me. And I just, they said, can I see your ticket? And showed them my phone. And it was just service to the max. It was perfect. That sounds really, really nice, Kim. I know you were really highly anticipating the trip overall. Did you feel like there were any kind of standout moments for um, accessibility or just being, you know, it made sure that people were aware of uh, any accommodations or even for you and your mother, this kind of like, you know, taking a trip together in this way? Well, they are, CN is very accommodating. And actually, I almost want to say they kind of 
cater to disability because mm. there were quite a few disabled people on the train, including blind people. And so they kind of put us together so we can support each other as well. So I made some good friends, blind and such. And it was just, we were all impressed with how CN just took our hand and we got to ride the limousine from the train station to our car, our train car. So uh, they made it very uh, easy. And that's what one of my biggest fears would be uh, if it would be too challenging for me, just not having the experience and, and the knowledge of doing that. Um, but they took care of everything and it was incredible. Nice. Now, now um, for yourself, we know you're blind. Did your mom have any needs? Just like how was her comfort? They took care of her too. She doesn't have any needs, but they took care of her as if, you know, she was just part of the group and included her in everything. And the food was so good and the views and the room and everything was spotless. Uh, it just such a worry-free trip. I think that's just so amazing. Now, so on the train, beautiful trip, got lots of visiting in. I, I kind of like, too, the ticket on your phone. It beats always having darn paper. Where else did you guys go? I see here hotel and even West Edmonton Mall, which we can get to in, in a bit on how you felt in yeah. that huge place. Yeah, so we took the train from Vancouver to Edmonton, and there were two stops, one in Kamloops and one in Jasper. So the one in Kamloops was actually quite late in the evening. It was around midnight. I think we were supposed to arrive there a little bit earlier uh, from what the people that got on at Kamloops saying they were waiting for quite a while for the train to arrive. But we got there and got them on and then headed to Jasper. And our visit at Jasper was was a little bit shorter because uh, of the delay and because the train is considered uh, a holiday train. It's not mm -hmm. uh, an essential train. So we would have to pull over and let other For trains. For the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. The freights. And but, but, you guys had your own room and everything like that. How, how yes. was that laid out, especially for yourself? And of course, Ramya, I, I know you want it asked, so I have to, Kim, forgive me. Most importantly, the the meals, or else she would have got off at Cam Loop. Kim, for my sanity, <laughs> tell us about the meals. Oh, the, the meals were delectable. It was kind of like, what do I pick? Because there was, now there's like four choices for every meal. Uh, and there's oh. a starter, the main, and a dessert. And let me just say, the commentary was, uh, you roll away from the table <laughs> oh, because you were so full and like the portions weren't oversized, but just very satisfying. That sounds awesome. I, I know that there's, um, you know, a lot of this conversation around like take business class, take first class for your different train services just for the food experience of it. But uh, I think that that's awesome that the food is really living up to its expectations. What was it? Mm. Did you know the food was going to be good? 
I didn't. And so I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Mm. And you were hoping on those stops where you could get off and get something if you had to. Oh, take some chips or something. No. Yes. Yes. A bag full of goodies. And it didn't even get touched because we were just so full. We didn't even finish a lot of our our meals because it was just so good. Mm -hmm. And how about the accommodations? Oh, the room was perfect. Like, I will say it was small, but for where we were, what we were doing, couldn't have asked for better. Um, And just not knowing the space. uh, So just being in that small space made me feel safe. Um, Like to have a closed door and a private bathroom and my own wash facility. And uh, it just made it feel... um, more comfortable, more safe. Um, So the sleeping arrangement was when you first go in, there's two chairs and we're kind of like, hmm, how do we sleep in this? And we're trying to figure out how they make these chairs into beds. beds. And my mom's Mm. like, hmm, she's trying to figure out how it all works. And she's like, I think this is like a cruise ship where there's bunk beds up there. (laughs) So true enough, uh, the wall and from the ceiling and just made it such an, a nice and comfortable it wasn't like we were crammed we had lots of room um so I was actually on the top bunk mom stayed on the bottom but I went to the top and it was so easy because I could just put my arm across and reach the other side to go down the ladder so nice. uh, I wasn't afraid about going up or down the ladder it yeah. was it felt good even with so. the train rocking right it didn't matter oh, you were good. Oh man. Totally a different uh, role too. Like I was anticipating it feeling like a car, right? Yes. But it feels very different. Yep. Wow. Ooh. Boy, talk about Soothing. luxury. Uh let's let's get into Edmonton um the, the West Real Edmonton quick. Mall and yeah, because we got about a minute and a half. Well, that's where our journey ended was Edmonton. And I figured let's do it up good. So we went to what's called Fantasyland in West Edmonton Mall. And it was a theme room. And I think it was called Canadian. So it was plaid and bear and moose and wildlife. And yes, 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 that's it. And it was just (laughs) perfect to end it. And the great big hot tub. And I said to mom, even though we got there at 12 30 at night when we were supposed to be there at seven i said we still got a float in the hot tub mom (laughs) so we had a boat in the hot tub and we slept like babies so it was just i know perfect trip and i recommend it to anybody because it is just a totally different view of Canada, like going on the train track and seeing what we don't see on the roads is just beautiful. The wildlife, uh, that was one of the pictures that I would have loved to have shown you is I got pictures of sheep. Um, so yeah, there was just lots, lots to see in the waterfalls. So beautiful. And people should just take this down and use this. Kim, we'll talk to you next month. You and mom now, Rest. <laughs> Will <laughs> Get do. snoring. I know it. Uh, Kim Hubby, our community report. And of course, we talked about the trip on the train uh, through parts of Canada ending up in Edmonton.
Super fun time, and we will be back in two minutes. We got a second hour of the show here for you. We have our monthly collections and hobby segment. Bethany Deer is going to join us, and she's got a real quirky kind of hobby going on. Uh, she's going to explain more. Trust me, it's really interesting. Also, we have a parenting chat with Lucia Belafonte about ableism and parenting. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of that. But after the break, Grant Hardy's joining us for a headline segment. Bonus on a Tuesday. We'll be back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Kicking off the second hour of Kelly and special draw tomorrow. Okay, oh that is October 11th. I know. Time is flying uh, in order for you to get this, well, for a chance for you to get at these free tickets that we're giving away, a pair of them. And Lucas Hanneman Express is involved. So basically, you're going to be able to expr- express express experience the blues live and loud and this is for greater toronto area viewers and listeners you can jam for a cause and this is with the lucas um hanneman express like i said they're a blues band straight out of ottawa they're incredible we are first-hand attendees of concerts we've talked to them on the show they're lovely and this is happening october 13th that's this friday it's a short week it's tuesday already so this Friday, October 13th in Etobicoke, there is a benefit concert um, that's happening and it's going to be at the Ukrainian Community Center in Etobicoke. You may or may not be familiar with them in Warner Avenue, but it's not just a concert, it's a blues fiesta. So you're enjoying soulful tunes and indulging in a three-course meal. And the cause that you're supporting is for Ukraine. So. There you go. That's all the Mm -hmm. big details. If you want a chance to win these pair of tickets, which we're going to draw for tomorrow on the show sometime, so that's uh, October 11th, Wednesday, you can email us for your chance to win. That's kellyandramia at ami.ca. So find us on social media. Find us via your email, kellyandramia at ami.ca, and we will uh, give you all the details once you've um, a entered for the draw, and B once we've drawn for you. All right, yeah. did I miss and anything if you else? Can find your if, if people can find their way there, that would be amazing. Uh, you can't exchange these or anything like that, folks. No. But we said GTA, but really, you know what? As long as you can get to Toronto that day, yes. Um, if you're, you know, you might as well enter if you can do that, and we'll we'll do our best to, you know, kind of <clears throat> shake the, uh, the tickets up enough or the entries up enough and uh, draw your name so. exactly. Always exactly. cool. We'll get you your name uh, for at the door. So uh, just send an email. You get drawn. When you show up at the door, voila, mm-hmm. you're in. You get first-class service. Walk in and enjoy great music, too. Fantastic freaking band. Three-course meal. Yes. All the above, okay? So, yeah. uh, you know, if you're planning on showing up anyway, awesome. And if you want a pair of these tickets, great. Email us. Kelly and Ramia yeah, at watching. AMI.ca. We're watching. We're watching our emails now, folks. Yes, get we are. to it. Yes, we are. Get, we are. Yeah, thank we you. Thank 24 you hours. All right, here we go. Let's get to a bonus headline segment. Usually on Mondays and Wednesdays, Grant Hardy joins us. Today, he's joining us on a Tuesday. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. 
So obviously, it's because we missed you yesterday because of the long weekend. So Grant, you join us on a Tuesday. It's technically not even a bonus. It's just a makeup headline segment, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to transition now from I'm picturing the blues fiesta that mm. I'm not going to get to attend because I'm here to headlines. And I was doing a little blues song in my head about uh-huh. how you missed my headlines segment yesterday. Yeah. Do you have the whole chord progression for it or I can just pick up a banjo? Oh. And <laughs> <laughs> didn't have say, any headlines I, uh, yeah. yesterday. That's what we needed on your new music, didn't right? Yeah. We need no more. new blues music form. Didn't have no segment. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's yeah, what's wrong. There you go. Wow, we've uh, wow. butchered the heck out of this one. Maybe the, And uh, not only that, we've eaten up all of his segments, yeah, no so we kidding. might as well not add one anyway. <laughs> we'll get Chad GPT on this as we get to headlines. Oh, my gosh. Why didn't you I You knew she was going to bring that up. It's her fixation. <laughs> Chad GPT. Uh, yeah, Kelly, Kelly, Mr. McDonald, I got to give you credit for this article from the Canadian press because it's a really good one. Turns out that recently a panel of doctors, nurses and patients from across Canada, uh, they've they've issued several recommendations on basically how to make healthcare a little more equitable uh, and more accessible for disadvantaged people. For a lot of the reasons that we kind of know on the show, but sure, and some new yeah. ones too. I mean, we know that, in, uh, for example, indi- indigenous and racialized people, members of LGBTQI plus communities, people with low ca- incomes, and those living in rural or remote parts of Canada may be uh, among the populations without equal access equitable access to life-saving preventative screenings and tests. Uh, Some of those could be for reasons such as just services are less available in their areas. Some are due to understandable distrust of uh, the service providers. There's some interesting reasons, too, that I, I totally resonated with me. Like, one of them is that some people with special needs have a harder time keeping to specific appointment Mm. times, you know, and booking. This is such a fascinating one. Like, for example, if you apply for some sort of social services, you know, even social uh, assistance, at least in British Columbia, you require the ability to get somewhere at a very specific time, plus Mm -hmm. have a reliable computer with internet access to access communications, plus have a reliable phone that you can take random calls that may come at very specific times, which I always kind of think like, that's sort of a lot for a marginalized person to have. Well, and and if you really look at it, Grant, that's like saying you have to live in Vancouver, Victoria, somewhere where you have these services, even if you have the computer, even if you have the phone. A lot of people were talking about, and transportation, a big one, it's like saying, well, if you have a disability, why would you ever live out in the country? You bad person. And that's ridiculous. Because you don't have $7,000 a month maybe to spend on rent or you just like living out in the country. (laughs) Well, and and you guys out West, I know this was one of the things that really blew my mind when, when Greyhound went away. 
because they talked about people trying to make appointments that would get on a Greyhound bus, go three hours on that bus to get to where this doctor that they might, or specialist they might be going to see, saw them, and, and then later in the day, took a bus back home, maybe to come back next week again. So when you lose something like Greyhound, when you know and are aware there are people who count on this, I don't understand any government that can allow that to happen without finding oh. either another service to subsidize. Help us out. Absolutely. I mean, it's just so heartbreaking. And even for those those non-essential services, mm -hmm. like, you know, people yeah. literally, yeah. I can't go, you know, they'll be like, I can't go see my partner anymore, you know, because they can't hop on the Greyhound. It was yeah. really easy no. to do, go hang out for the weekend. Now they shut that down. Um. So just to kind of touch base on a few of these, you can, uh, you know, Google if you want the whole article. But so one of them, they say early colorectal screening, uh, screening. So it turns out that colon cancer is very preventable. There is sort of an in-home, in uh, like, fecal test that you can do, send it back. It gives you your result about whether you need to proceed further. We actually right. do have a program like that in BC, but they're saying to uh, expand it earlier and younger across yeah. all Canada. Also, uh-huh. I think that's, that's the what one. they call it, the fit kit, right? Yeah, that's the one. Also cervical self-testing. So they say like the at-home colorectal cancer screening test, uh, self-swabs to detect human uh, uh, HPV virus can cause, uh, which can cause cervical cancer, could also be sent to people's homes, and that could help overcome some barriers to getting tested per, for HPV, uh, such as just the uh, fact that women with disabilities, Black women, people who identify as LGBTQI+, uh, people born outside of Canada, uh, and maybe people with uh, uh, sexual trauma may be less likely to have those tests accessible to them or be willing to get those tests. Uh, and there, there are a number, a number of other things, uh, such as uh, cardiovascular uh, screening and uh, testing as well, uh, as well as equitable access to people with special needs to have their own GP. So definitely lots of interesting material here. Yeah, there is. And I think that there is this underlying question of just uh, when we're talking marginalized communities, um, BIPOC communities, LGBTQ+, there is just this question of trust, right? Trust of our government, trust of the the um, the leadership and trust that, you know, these people in these populations feel like they're being taken care of. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. we feel like we're paying our taxes or parts of society, like we're, you know, part of the mix of things, but then there are these huge discrepancies and inequalities when it comes to major problems and topics like healthcare. And you start to wonder, you know, how long have people been on the search for family physicians? How long have people been just uninformed about a lot of these, like for other people, maybe just basic screening methods or basic things that you could just find uh, when you're looking for them and, and grant that just differentiates the conversation so significantly between uh, parts of our population. It does. No, absolutely. And just that, that availability in the first place, but also 
the trust at a certain point you have to actually take into account the human experiences yes. instead of assuming people are going to be behave in a way that we don't like we've said for so long you know why like why are people you know, making a fuss about nothing whatever when they could just go into the doctor and yeah. do the the screening of even intimate you know areas whatever well like maybe if enough humans are behaving this mm. way like it's it's necessary to take in the human experience and realize like, okay, maybe we need a different approach yeah. here. Oh, absolutely. So much of the time we're, we're not even aware uh, about the differences in experiences. Like it's mm-hmm. really just not, even if it's Let brought up, we're just ignorant to it. Of it. Yes, absolutely. Right? Oh, even just gosh, doing yes, a lot yeah. of these tests. It's bias and then everything else, right? Yep. Don't identify the yeah. bias. We don't even know. Cool, Grant. Yeah, it certainly have a lot of work to do, a lot of steps to take, but it looks like those brilliant people out there are doing the research and yes. bringing it to us. Check it out. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thanks, pal. Thank you so much. Uh, Grant Hartley joining us for headlines today, and he will be back tomorrow for the regular Wednesday headline. After the break, we have a regular monthly parenting segment with Lucia Belafonte, and she joins us to talk a little bit more about ableism and parenting and how we can get into it. We'll find out after the break. Welcome back. We are hanging out with you until 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. It's Kelly and Ramia. I'm Ramia Umadhan with Kelly McDonald. And um, I think the, the show is flying by, Kels, and it's going to throw off the way that the rest of the week feels probably. And as I said... Well, it's kind of a catch-up day and get mm-hmm. on track. And obviously with our veterinarian... Um, being under the weather, it just made us have to alter the show and there's one yep. thing or another and you throw Grant into the mix. And <gasps> yeah, okay, fine. There it wasn't just a bonus headlines. Ooh, They're no. on to us. Of course, they figured that. <laughs> they they were all sitting there saying, hey, isn't really the community interesting. supposed to yeah. be in five, not four? <laughs> and Grant, isn't he supposed to be? Yes? Oh, somebody didn't show. Yeah, ah. yeah our audience knows. Okay, <laughs> everybody, everybody knows. I mean, you know, we, we have to be transparent Let's here, do don't that. we? Post-transparent, yeah. retrospect. For those of you who really stick to the show, you know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. You sure do. It's time for parenting. Let's check in with Lucia Belafonte for our segment. Are you ready to learn, laugh, and maybe even cry a little? Join me, Lucia Belafonte, as we explore how disability can affect your parenting journey. I'll share advice and stories to help you grow in confidence and courage. The Totally Transparent program now welcomes Lucia for a very interesting (laughs) talk. And Lucia, I love this subject because we get into so many of these discussions about ableism. And that's today where you're going with us. And when it comes to parenting, um, can can we start with where you want to go with this? Because this is an interesting thought to develop into a segment. Mm. So I, I thought that the concept of ableism and parenting, you know, might I don't know, to me was was new, to be honest with you. And I started thinking about some of the things that we've discussed and some of the issues that I know my students have brought to me in the past. And so I thought, there we go. Why not talk about it? Because we might unintentionally, right, be perpetuating an ableist attitude at home. Um, 
in the prior segment, uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, somebody might say, why would you live in the country, right? If yep. it's difficult for you to have accessibility to transportation. And that's an ableist comment, isn't it? Because right. why shouldn't a person have the right to live wherever they want? You bet. You bet. Uh, let's talk about what ableism is. Mm. So the definition of ableism, as I found, was it's the discrimination of and the social prejudice against people with disabilities based on the belief that typical abilities are superior. And I thought of it as, um, you know, uh, anything that is disrespectful, dismissive, or hurtful towards someone, and that could be a behavior, an attitude, um, even language, to me, ableism mm -hmm. is. As well, I really liked this. I found this is not my brilliant thinking, but um, the line was, think of it this way. The world wasn't built with people with disabilities in mind. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the world and the homes that we live in are inherently ableist. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, so it many makes total are. sense. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always I always think about it when it comes to college and university courses, right? How a yes. person with a disability has to learn about the course. Okay, I want to go to this course. I think it's great. This is the direction I want to go in life. Then you have to learn every detail because then you have to teach your teachers, your profs, how to teach you yeah. because yes. of your disability. <laughs> Yeah. And, and that could be really frustrating. I mean, I oh. know I've gone through that with my students and my own children as well. Absolutely. And, you know, ableism uh, shows itself, I guess, or we can feel mm -hmm. the the effects of it through language, Lucia. This is a never ending conversation about mm -hmm. the transformation of language, the progress progress of language, the changing mm -hmm. of, and it's just never ending. And so I wanted to ask you if we can go through some of the examples of ableist language that we either use today or we know our trigger points because they have been used uh, in the past. Yeah, absolutely. So for example, if you're I'm just having a casual conversation with someone and you don't like the way they're behaving and you say to them, you're acting bipolar. Ooh. That has a really negative connotation. And that's an example of using ableist language, right? Um, you yourself uh, giving an example about yourself or using using this, I'm so OCD as an adjective. And so sometimes we use language and we really don't think about the implications of it or where it's coming from. And I always think, you know, if it's disrespectful, dismissive or hurtful, it's not language that we should be using. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a lot of this kind of stuff where mm -hmm. we're not we're ne not necessarily consciously thinking about the origins, as you said, right. of where this language comes from, but also you know, sometimes some language is uh, like out there. We know it's socially not acceptable for us to use certain mm -hmm. things as we used mm -hmm. to, right? Like the word handicapped or whatever, yeah. as a as an example. Um, but others we don't often talk about. You know, especially when it comes to cognitive disabilities, we don't often say, you know, this is not acceptable it's not appropriate anymore or you know even mm -hmm. think about what this actually means we don't consciously do it as much as we do with certain words where we say this word has been cancelled mm -hmm. that's right sorry kelly you were saying something 
I was just thinking, or the harm we do without meaning to do harm because we yes. think we're being sensitive. We think we're being aware, you know, something like you don't look disabled. So many people, oh, well, thank you. You know, at one point people thought, oh, that's the biggest compliment in the world because it was in our head. Yeah, you can constantly, pass a able body. Yeah, that, oh, man, thank you very much. You know, um, it, it was up there with, oh, are you ever a handsome person? Or that looks great on you, that outfit, whatever it might be, that was kind of that saying, well, thank you very mm. much. You know, I don't look disabled. It's not the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, but it's so much internalized ableism. I forgot you were as they shut a door in your face or yes. whatever, thinking you were going to catch it as they went through it and see it coming back. There are some of those things that people mean. Or when we joke something off, um, I know you have in your, yeah. your script here, uh, I'm so OCD, right? And, yes. you know, to someone who is OCD, I'm certainly sure to hear someone say that mm. isn't funny isn't you know pleasant because of the things they associate because we all associate with with different things and and when it comes to when it comes to so much of that so i i find it tough um but we also know in business mm -hmm. for example mm -hmm. not complying with disability rights refusing to provide reasonable accommodations or buildings that are inaccessible are again up there with your examples of uh, ableism uh, yes. how does it relate to ableism in the home well, and and so this might be a tough one for for some, you know, parents to hear. But when we have a child who needs an accommodation or needs accessibility, we don't realize that we are contributing to this attitude of ableism when we are not providing for them what they need. And it, that's not to say that we are intentionally doing something to harm our children. So I want to make that clear. But for example, you know, if we have a child who is blind and who requires Braille, not providing them for with um, Braille on um, cabinets, for example, or Braille on their clothing for clothing labels or sorry, clothing drawers, something like that. To me, you know, I would think of that that is perpetuating that attitude of ableism, even respecting, and this was a big one both at home and in the classroom, respecting a child's assistive technology mm. or um, their, uh, you know, not thinking that it's important for a child to have assistive technology. You as the adult making that decision without communicating or asking the child and then respecting the child's or reaction or what the child is saying that they need. That's mm. ableism. And also, you know, we I thought about this long and hard before saying it, but even learning Braille. Um, it's a mode of communication for your child. And I think as a parent, it's important for us to be able to communicate in all ways and as much as possible with our children. So learning Braille is part of that. And feeling that we don't need to learn Braille perhaps is something that we need to question about ourselves and can be part of that idea of ableism. Yeah. Mm. I will mm. say this was a, a huge um, part of my own, like, uh, learning curve about the internalized mm -hmm. ableism that a I myself had, but also just culturally, you know, that uh, Kelly, what you said about um, being able to pass as an able-bodied mm -hmm. person, people who can fall into the cracks if you have low vision or partial sight, um, where you take 
the opportunity to feel able-bodied or feel sighted. And learning Braille was this very uh, hard point for me growing up because my mother always said, but you can read print and you don't need to learn Braille. And I think that just comes from an ableist place, period, right? And so as I got older and then kind of going through the realizations of like, but I would love to learn Braille, but also am I thinking of learning Braille as a negative thing? Is it just that I have enough sight that I don't need Braille or... Is there another reason why Braille is such a complicated subject for me? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, there's a lot of deep thinking about this stuff, Lucia. It's not always like, yeah, of course, obviously the disabled No, there's a lot of like right. coming to terms with what you believe ableism is. Yeah, I know my I parents agree. had trouble with it because they wanted me to keep using my eyes. Yes, In yeah. their minds, mm -hmm. if I didn't use my vision, uh, you mm -hmm. don't use it, it, you lose it. Mm -hmm. And... Even though people, staff, teachers could tell them, you know how slow yes. he is at trying to use his eyes? Do you know yeah. that as he moves on, how hard that'll be? He'll have headaches, he'll get sick, not to mention he'll never keep up. He'll never learn. Yeah. And and so I think as a parent, you know, you, you've both touched on this, is, but I think if we ask ourselves why, right? And then we have to be brutally honest. So yep. why am I doing this? Why am I saying this way? Why am I reacting this way? Why do I feel this way? Is it truly for the benefit of my child? And in particular, if we have a child that's old enough to vocalize what their needs are, and then we are shutting down those needs, we're being dismissive of what our children are verbally saying to us, I think we really need to question that and ourselves. Because it, it, you know, I think of it this way as an adult, if someone comes to me and says to me, oh, well, um, you you don't need that. It's better for you to do this. And, mm. you know, I've mm -hmm. determined for myself what's best for me. That's and so right. why do we always feel that we know what's best for our yep. children, in yep. particular, when they have the wherewithal to verbalize and express what they yep. themselves need? Oh, like, I, I so, think it's so true that uh, parents mm -hmm. may not actually understand the kind of influence they are on their mm -hmm. their child. And and that comes with the internalized ableism that you're now putting onto your kid, right? Like, it's not yeah. intentional, as you said, not always intentional. Sometimes it can be, yeah. but definitely there's a lot to it. Uh, let's talk about the attitude towards mobility devices and how mm -hmm. that factors into all this, because another huge conversation. <laughs> It is. I mean, we could talk about each one of these things separately oh, for yeah. hours, right? Yeah. So, for example, you know, mobility devices. That was a tough one both at school and at home because mobility devices for students were not always respected. And that disrespect shows itself in a number of ways. Um, not allowing for assistive or mobility devices to be used. Um, using, for example, a wheelchair as a footrest or leaning up against someone's wheelchair. You, you know, we need to think of a person's mobility device as an extension of that person. We wouldn't go around as adults and lean against another adult because we felt tired or we thought it was comfortable. So why do we think it's it's acceptable to lean up against a mobility device? Um, feeling that it's not important for a child to have or use assistive technology. We touched about on this a little bit, but that again goes forward to that attitude of ableism. And another one that's really important for parents at home is, you know, teaching or not 
allowing other siblings to play with, and I'm going to put play in quotes, play mm -hmm. with a child's mobility devices or assistive technology. You know, yeah, understanding that this is something that is to be respected and belongs to a particular individual and is theirs. And all of us within the family needs to need to respect that. Especially when it comes to technology, these canes, these these wheelchairs, yes. equipment that is vital. Lucia, yeah. absolutely fantastic mm. and open conversation here. As you guys said, we could go on for ages about this. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of it is that whole, why would you feel that way? Ask yourself that, especially as a parent. Why don't you want your child to learn this? Or yeah. how come you feel this way? And we have it in so many other parts of our lives. Thank you, uh, Lucia. Yeah. We'll talk to you next month. Talk next month. We'll catch up with Lucia Belafonte on the first Tuesday of the month right here on the program. And on the second Tuesday, well, actually, it's the second Tuesday. Second Tuesday of the month, we have collections and hobbies. And we have a very interesting hobby. I don't think this falls under collections. Uh, it's very interesting as a hobby as well. We're going to talk to Bethany Deer, producer on Kelly and Remia, about something that her and her husband have been roped into as a family tradition turned into this incredible interesting conversation we'll be back with that after the break it's fun insightful and inclusive kelly and ramya return in a minute we're back with you and we have had an interesting show thus far Bar, uh, talking about a lot of different things from um, home screening and basic screening for medical purposes and just like the discrepancies and inequalities that we can face in Canada throughout the country just based on who you are, population, uh, marginalization and all these other things that come up. Uh, also, we talked about parenting, disability and internalized ableism. A lot of great points brought up there with Lucia Belafonte. And then we got some lighter things going on as well, like nutrition and talking hot cereals with our uh, nutritionist, Julia Caranches. Now, what hot cereal do you like? What hot cereal do I like? Yeah, are you one of those uh, I... like Billy Shackleton <laughs> who are prejudiced against them? No, I'm not really prejudiced. I just don't prefer them in general. I like, I like um, the, idea of the rice one. pudding. Oh. Well, that, I never, pudding. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I know what you're thinking. What? That's not even part of the conversation. But you know how we got into like quinoa and yeah. rice and, right, yeah, and I was just uh, thinking, okay. porridge. Yeah. I was like, you instead of having it as an oatmeal, I would rather make it as a pudding with all my sugar in it. You know, bring me back to that familiarity of well, cold cereal. Basically what she was describing a lot of time there, you could Don't really make it. it right. Well, yeah. you, you know. You could it's got milk, chips, all sorts of things in it. It's got the stuff yeah. like the rice. Yeah, it's got everything we need and vanilla extract and a bunch of sugar. <laughs> sugar, yeah. There add the go. syrup and I've got it. Oats. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oat all pudding. your sweet stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Very delicious. So, anyways, I don't know why. Um, I don't know why I brought it up because I fell right into that one. But let's get to ever. another fun convo. So every month on the second Tuesday, we like to. Strap us in for a collections and hobbies conversation. We expanded it from just collections because there's so much interesting stuff that people do that we can make um, very interesting segments out of. And this family is no today. exception. Exactly. The family's collecting stuff today. Um, and so Bethany Deer, who's a producer on our show, is here to tell us about what goes on. The kind of, I want to say mayhem, but it sounds like a lot of fun, Beth, with the... Tradition. 
Yes, okay, let's call it tradition and not right. let her explain the rest of the adjectives. Yeah, but. it's uh, <laughs> it's weird. Not really a collection or a hobby. I guess actually it's, it's a collection. It's like a little bit of both. It's a collection with a, tra it's a traditional collection. Yeah. We're being collected. It's a family collection. <laughs> it's a col it sounds yeah. like some kind of movie, The Collector, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it could be. But we're calling it because when we talked about it before the show, we're like, what do you even call this, you know, for the promos? And we're calling it the, you decided on the Belcher family number system. That sounds about right. I think so. Like when people talk about it, we do normally call it like the number system. Yes, yes, yes. And you're going to let us in on it, okay? And this is, people have to pay very Absolutely. close attention. This is really well, good. Well, yeah, especially what? when she gets into Roman numerals. <laughs> yeah. What is it? What is this numbering system? Okay, so this numbering system started in 1912 when Ooh. my husband's great-grandparents got married. They ended up having 16 children. Um, and I don't, I, to tell you the truth, I don't know if it was the siblings or if it was the parents that decided to start the number system, but someone in this family, we called the Belcher family, um, someone in this family decided to start the number system and the great-grandparents are numbers one and two and then the 16 siblings are called, well, everyone calls them the originals. Um, yeah, the 16 <laughs> siblings made up this family and then obviously they all started to get married, they all started to have kids and as the family grew, so did the numbers. And wow. we are now at 573, which the last person to be added to the family was me in August, so I am 573. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's like, a, like the first family. 18 people altogether, that's two baseball teams. And I wonder if the reason the numbering started was, look, you have that many kids, you're going to screw up everyone's name. Hey, Fred, Ethel, whatever. So maybe it was easier to say 12, come here, hey, 10. And maybe that was the kids' joke. You know, the kids' price. You just reminded me of something. They have, I know nothing about sports. I'm pretty sure every reunion, they have a baseball game or like I don't, is baseball the same as softball i don't even know i'm just gonna embarrass yeah, so, myself yeah anyway. in this case yeah let's just say yeah <laughs> yeah um Similar. so they have a game every reunion and it's like the in-laws versus the outlaws so i think <laughs> it's like the it depends on obviously i think it's like the eight girls and their families because uh the family was made up of eight boys and eight girls so i think they, it's called like in-laws versus the outlaws and it's made up of obviously they divide them down the middle and then all the families play in this big tournament wow that's see and it's interesting because you got so many people. Like, I'm sorry, but even back in the original days, like, that's a gigantic family. And I know some will say, mm -hmm. oh, no, no, there's all sorts yeah. of huge families. And Okay, maybe 12, 9. But when you start you keeping know, track, right? 18. We always say oh, wow. the families are huge. But when you're keeping track with literal numbers, you're like, this is how actually huge my family is. <laughs> yeah, like, like, that's amazing. Okay, so since we were discussing you being added as 573, do you happen to recall what number the family was at when you and Cody actually first met? I do, because I remember the first night we met, I remember him telling me about this, and I remember being like, is your family a cult? <laughs> um, 
and he, and he was like, yeah, like we literally were at a wedding last week where like 481 was like welcomed into the family because at weddings, they normally do like a t-shirt ceremony where they give you your t-shirt. They stopped, it'll be like <laughs> Beth and then it will say your number on the back, but yes. they've stopped putting numbers on the back because, um, well, basically you have to kind of wait until they set a date and then they'll post in like the family page and they'll be like, okay, everyone, we're updating the calendar. Please post like dates and times of new additions so that we can go through and make sure everyone has the right number before you're assigned your number. Essentially, oh, Yeah. So there's no doubling. it. So what number is Cody? Cody is 250 and Henley, our daughter is 553. My goodness. So you guys don't necessarily go in order. No, don't you? Yeah, well, yeah. How you can go, she? You go it's the only way to do it. Yeah, there was this yeah. many people between Cody joining and Henley mm -hmm. joining, which makes sense. Wait, well, Beth, what yeah, are you again? But, but Beth's 573, Henley. aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And Henley's what? Like, but obviously we had Henley before we were married. Oh, so, uh, okay. That's uh, the, the semantics. Okay. okay. This wow, is like, when big... do you qualify oh, to be a number, to get a number? Yeah, that's okay. what this so is. Yeah. Because Henley be in the family technically before you. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, so exactly. between you and, oh, even that's between you a story. and Henley, yeah. there's 20. Henley beat you. I know. It's so crazy. And like, honestly, it blows my mind. There's so <laughs> many like weird numbering stories, but obviously times are changing and like, Family dynamics are so different now than mm -hmm. they were, obviously, when this family started. And there's lots of people that, you know, might be on their second or third marriage, and they might come into the family with kids. Yeah. So say you come into the first, say, for example, I married Cody and he was my second husband, and I already had a child. I My child's number would then be like 573A. And like oh. if I had a second oh. child, oh my five, goodness, you don't even get your own number. Okay, no, unfortunately, that's no. really interesting. <laughs> Who is part of this consultation process? Like, is there a committee? Yeah, is there? Yeah, hmm. <laughs> no, you have to tell us because there's no way that someone's making these unilateral decisions. Well, these <laughs> no, rules are so interesting. Like, basically, kind of the rules for the most part, up until very recently, the rule has always been like the surviving originals decide. So whoever is still alive out okay. of the 16 siblings... The oldest number, basically. Family, yeah, like our family just lost our original. So Cody's grandpa literally passed away in August and okay. he was number 15. Um, and yeah, like it's so interesting. So like I, for the first family reunion that Cody and I were together for, we obviously were living together, but we weren't engaged or married. Mm -hmm. And the rule is normally you're not allowed to come unless you are engaged or married. Because right. obviously if you were just Ooh. bringing every Tom, Dick and Harry, any girlfriend or boyfriend you ever had, this reunion Not would everyone's be invited to this family affair. Yeah. Can you imagine how people yeah, would feel? Like, oh, I can't, you can't even have an honorary number. Get out of so here. It's so hilarious. It's like if you if you're serious about Cody, you have to engage, you know, or be married because, or else you're not going to get a number. Like that's, this is the proof. I want a number. I just met you last week. Let's get married. Yeah. I want a number. Like well, your stepkids like, don't even get one of, 
One of the originals, her husband passed away a very long time ago, and she has, like, a very long-term partner. I think they've been together, honestly, like, 20 years. Stop it. She doesn't have a number. He has never come to a reunion. Oh. <laughs> and obviously, she, she could make the decision for him to come. Just make it the longest to... engagement ever if you really want a number that bad. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, honestly. But see, that's the thing. I was really hoping, I'm not going to lie, I know this sounds very ungrateful. The Belcher family as a whole is so much fun. And like, I've always loved being a part of it. But I was so annoyed with my number, everyone. (laughs) I so badly (laughs) wanted 575. Oh, yep. Yep. That's not in your hands, though. Beth was trying to hang on and wait and encouraging. She was had the she was the biggest supporter of other people. Why don't you guys get married? You could be strategic. You You could totally be strategic about it, and you know, just let somebody else slip in and then take the number that you want by saying, "Okay, we're engaged now." How crazy the story is this? So Cody is 250. There is obviously uh, another person who is 249. Now stick with me here because this sounds very confusing. But 249 and 250 had their first children <gasps> on the same day. Ooh. So Henley and the Ooh. baby of 249 was born on the same day. So now their numbers are 252, or sorry, 552 and 553. How so weird is that? Did we, did we go down to got, one born at 12? Yeah, like yeah. who was born at what time? On that the, day. So 249 had her baby seven hours before Henry. Oh, okay. Was born. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Really so that I didn't get, though. Really loud. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> yeah. This is. Wow. Well, um, it, there's no voting process, right? Like, but back to the committee situation and the decision making. It, it's no, the, like the committee is more so for like the reunions, like the planning. I mean, the number system is like the number system. It's first come, first served. Really. But what if like, you want to like protest something, Beth? Like, what if you have a guide dog or a service animal or you know yes. a t- teddy bear um, that you want to give a number to? <laughs> No. Teddy bears emo- can't count. Emotional cat, support the cats, animal. The lizards, a the pet. goldfish. No? Okay. A Patronus, a maybe? A Patronus, essentially? Yeah. Oh, no, you're getting too much trouble. You're getting too much trouble trying no, to No, I think there should be a voting system involved. Oh, no, no, because then you got goldfish and everything. Topic, I think for service dog numbers, guide dog numbers, I think that there should be guide dog numbers. Um, at the moment, Patronus does not have a number, but I, he always feels so special at the reunions because whenever we all sit down in, like, the dining hall to eat, there's always the announcements of no dogs inside the buildings except from Patronus. <laughs> wow. wow maybe he needs a number like 01 you know just something yeah. different. oh just make it complicated yeah because yeah. you got you can't do well yeah but you got honorary because the letter numbers. system the at numbers mm-hmm. letter gets in the way too you can't mm-hmm. go messing with that right and don't say mm-hmm. anything wrong you might get punched out by number 185 or something you'd be quiet be careful <laughs> <laughs> I think it's amazing. What I think is amazing is keeping track and and honoring everyone this way. So what about the family reunions? Where where do you guys have to hold them because it sounds like there's so many. Yeah, so like I think it's incredibly rare that, you know, the full 500 ever shows up. I think wow. our last reunion cool. that was about 280. Um wow. 
and the grounds that they used to hold it at doesn't like it's not open to like be rented out anymore so we have actually turned to um small like rodeo grounds <laughs> to rent it out <laughs> and then we kind of like made a deal with like the college in town because we usually have it in the summer when there's no classes going on so you know if people have trailers then they bring trailers and they stay out in the fields um and there's usually just like an enormous loop of trailers i think last year there was nearly 30 trailers like it was enormous and then um yeah if you don't have anywhere to stay then we like pay a company to run a shuttle or family friends to run a shuttle to and from the reunion um to the dorms where people end up staying mm. So yeah, it's well, it's absolutely it, huge and wild and so much fun. Like throughout the weekend, they have different events. Like they always have the food catered. Um, obviously, can you imagine? Like okay, like Beth, you're up feed two hundred and eighty people. <laughs> Holy cow! So yeah, they always have catered. That is this would wild. make a great soap opera, right? You got a lot of cast this members. This is but, great. Oh yeah, I feel like there could uh, be drama too. But it, again, are the rules written down somewhere, Beth? Like, can is there a thing you can refer to with the numbering system? Um, in the playbook. Yeah, no, yeah. Really. Like we do have like a calendar that's printed out, and like within that, there's like the number list of people. There's like the family tree, yep. and then there's, like a kind of like a calendar for birthdays. Um, but that's mm. kind of as official as official as it gets, mm. unless you want to wow, be what on a family the tree. And nice. Wow, that's a big tree, yeah. a big family tree. Um, Beth, you let them know we've had a great time learning about this. All our joking aside, oh, everything yeah. like that. I find it so amazing when a family, whether the size or not, just the connecting and closeness, and and just being willing to keep track of this kind of thing to me is pretty. One hundred percent, it's so amazing, so amazing. Especially that like my children will get to enjoy such yeah. a huge family. I love it. I love how Cody got to avoid this entire conversation, though. We had to hear it from I, I your mouth. Well, yeah. he's just making sure. He's <laughs> making sure because if we... <laughs> and he's making guy. sure if we say anything stupid later on when somebody step, well, falls in line as you're walking yeah, yeah, and yeah. says, Hi, I'm 291 mm -hmm. and I'm 304. Let's go for a walk. <laughs> in oh, the Facebook okay. page, everyone always signs with their numbers. So nice. if I have a post in there, I'll be like, Beth, 573. I love it. <laughs> Beth, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, guys. Bethany Deer, producer on Kelly and Ramia, joining us for Collections and Hobbies. And as we said, we're not really sure where this one lies. It's a kind of a family hobby tradition collection, collection. thing. Anyways, oh, yeah. we've, we've put people. some of our Numbers. own suggestions on the table, right, Kels? Let's yep, get a sure. handbook going and maybe a voting committee or a voting uh, system as well. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take yeah. a break. And when we come back, we're wrapping up the show with you as we inch closer to 4 p.m. Eastern time. We'll uh, give you a closing moment, but also we want to find out what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown tomorrow morning. Stick around for that. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. We're back with you and we are wrapping up the show with you as well. So we're going to remind you to go to your favorite podcast platform and look for Kelly and Ramya so you can listen on demand. You can share content as we segment our podcast for you now. So the Daily Show comes as a full show as well as all these different segments 
separated out, which is very easy sharing if you ask me. And then you can also look for Now with Dave Brown over there on your favorite podcast platform. And if you prefer to listen to it as a morning show, as it was intended, then check it out 9 a.m. Eastern time on weekdays on AMI-tv. So here's a bit of a lineup, a teaser of the Wednesday edition of the show, courtesy of Kelly McDonald. On the program tomorrow, folks, community reporter Shiny Sarah Va Vanamutho uh, will tell us all about the upcoming Raymond Raymond Festival. That's what it is, really. Kevin Shaw will also be discussing the CRTC's plan for registering podcasts that make a profit of $10 million or more. Don't even wonder, mm. folks. Come on, you know better than that. Sean Priest from Double Tap will give us his take on the growing number of subscription models that many tech companies out there are initiating. He wants to talk about the impact on the consumer and the tech companies themselves on the program. That starts 9 a.m. in the morning. Now with Dave Brown, they'll get into all those great conversations. We know, I know we brought up soccer earlier and we we're talking about, you know, Apple TV now owning the rights to a lot mm. of sports, right? And oh, yeah. And so the subscriptions never end. Like you can barely find what you used to be able to find on traditional television anymore. It's well, pretty they, jarring. They believed for a while mm. that Apple might be one of the companies that actually buys ESPN away from, because we know that Disney is trying to divest itself of a yep. lot of different things, including human beings, but also actual <laughs> yeah. full businesses. Yes, so yes. We'll see what happens because so much of this stuff... Be ready, folks, especially you sports fans, especially mm. the new soccer fans. Uh, streaming companies are a coming. Yeah, and it's like the streaming companies or just the big corporations, period, are owning so much. Like they'll just take the bulk of rights to a particular section of, uh, you know, entertainment. And then you mm -hmm. either go there or you go square, right? Like it's never, you know, just I want this channel. No, you have to sign up for this entire entity of things. Pretty, um, it's going to change things so much until yes, we start seeing is. as much as everybody goes on about cable cutters. Let's see what really happens mm -hmm. when we're back to whatever, as we've talked with Greg David, looks like cable, but includes all the streaming services. Exactly. Jump into a quick closing moment here, which is the simple fact that Canada eats more macaroni and cheese than any other nation in the world. First reaction to kill? Oh, my gosh. Delicious? No way. Oh, no. no. Well, okay. Sorry. All right. I've got to get this set straight here. I know everybody says Kelly hates pasta. It's not so much the hating pasta. Macaroni and cheese is one of those things I think of as coming from a box, even though I've, I know AD. there's been out there. People make this great stuff with six and seven and 1200 types of cheese on it. I get that. And that's what I would like it for. I just can't imagine going to a restaurant and paying for it. I can't imagine Ugh. it being that popular. It's like paying for craft dinner at a restaurant or, well, or going in there and getting grilled cheese. Just make it not mac and cheese, right? Add bacon to it, add um, chunks of uh, crackers or ritz broken up into it, and then you're having gourmet Ew. mac and cheese. Oh, yeah, you've never had that bread crumbs? Ritz? Yeah, Yuck. baked mac no, and cheese. I mean, I'm sure it, it, I've had it on it when someone says, sure, mm -hmm. this is my special This is recipe. mac and cheese. Yeah. No, yeah, keep not. it a secret. Keep it yourself. <laughs> or KD with ketchup. That's what we, I'm Oh, I've heard about. of people insulting mm -hmm. people doing that. You know, you don't need that. It's like when my mom would get mad and we'd throw extra seasoning on. You haven't even tasted it yet. Don't, don't even, do that. Don't put hot sauce oh, in my food. Come pepper. on, sacrilege. <laughs> Let's find out what's coming up tomorrow. When you join us at 2 p.m. Eastern time on the Wednesday edition of Kelly and Remia, we are talking about decades of much music programming that's being rescued from the sands of time. That is with Corinne Van Dusen on Entertainment.
Kevin Shaw, of course, is going to be here to talk business. We'll be talking time management on the program. We'll see you then. Enjoy your Tuesday afternoon, evening, and night. Catch you tomorrow. I'm thinking about the scam. You know, when I knew I was too old to trick-or-treat, how the heck did I get candy? As we approach Halloween, how did I do it? Because, you know, was always a big guy. I think the only time I was small is I was kind of small and real skinny when I was about seven years old, eight years old. And then got bigger at 10, 11, and, of course, stretched way out uh, when I was 13, 14. So, of course, you get to where you're coming up the front steps of people's place and, you know, trick or treat. Oh, oh, uh, and you knew the gig was up because you'd get less candy. (laughs) They'd throw it in there. It wasn't like you'd get, oh, my gosh. I mean, I used to kind of like going out a bit later because people would try to get rid of stuff if they had more. But if it was a busy night and you had to gauge it, they wouldn't have a lot left. So then I had to figure out, should I hand candy out? which I didn't love doing because I couldn't see enough. I remember trying to toss it into people's bags when they'd come to the door and missing. Oh, my goodness. And how do you explain that to a six-year-old? You're throwing their candy on the ground, right? So uh, that that always was a struggle. So I had to figure out, and I used to say to my mother, well, just make sure you have enough. It might be really busy. Yeah, but often it's not that. Oh, yeah, but you want to make sure you have enough. Oh, yeah, because you want leftover. And then if there's the next day. Let's go to the store, see what's there. Hey, Dad, can I get a ride? Well, for what? I want to go to the store and see if there's candy. You don't need all that candy. My God, aren't you sick of candy? Dad, I didn't go trick or... Yeah, sure. So it was always trying to figure out how to get some. You know, maybe you had a parent in the area who, who, well, didn't want their kid to have too much candy, so they would pirate some. And if they weren't a candy fan, maybe you got some then. But it was a tough racket, right? Think about it. You know, the only thing you got left is costumes. Doesn't matter how old you are, you can dress up. You can hand candy out. But you really can't do one handful for this six-year-old, a handful for this five-year-old, and one for me. You can't do that. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. Can you?